So two years ago, on January 6th, 2019, I preached a sermon here that was kind of like a seminal sermon for me, a beginning sermon, a big sermon. And it didn't have as much even to do with me as it had to do with all of us. On that Sunday, those of you might remember, I'll remind you a bit, I preached a sermon on Nehemiah chapter 1, where the walls of the city of God were broken down and the people of God were in great trouble and shame. That's exactly how Nehemiah puts it. They'd been scattered. Instead of God's city, God's people being like celebrated in this place of like health and joy and you know, the admiration of the people around them to say, wow, look at what God has done. Instead, it was an object of ridicule. It was something that had been broken down, lost its glory. And if you remember, back then, January 6, 2019, I preached a sermon saying that it seemed to me that God had really been kind of like working on me. It seemed to me that our current condition of the city of God, the church of God, the people of God, felt a little broken down as well, that the walls have been broken down in some important places, that we were going to be called to try to step in and try to rebuild some of that, try to be something for the church at large that the church at large needs. So I don't know if any of you were here for that Sunday, if you remember it, but there were 12 things that I listed. I'm not sure I can remember all of them offhand right now, but I'll give it my best shot. The first place that I felt like the church had some broken down walls relates to exactly the little joke we had right there with the white rose. But David, you're the pastor. The first point was that we've recreated priesthood. And we all do it. You know, we tease, Dad and I tease back and forth about this all the time. We all sort of tease each other all about the time. The professional Christians and then the everyday Christians. When did Jesus ever say that? He actually said, see all you professional priests? everybody's a priest because I'm tearing down that curtain and there's no in or out, up or down. We're equals. All are one. No male, no female, no slave, no free. Just people of God, priesthood. So that's an important point. But it does seem like our, our modern contemporary American version of church recreates priesthood where you have pastors and elders and you have, you go to church. That was another point. Very, um, what was the word I used for that? Maybe invitational. Invite people to come to church instead of living out as the church. So then holy little stuff happens in holy places with holy people at holy times instead of God's people being the salt and the light of the world out there, like fertilizing and bringing flavor to the world and bringing truth and light and hope, like those sorts of outward things. I'm like, oh, we're, we're slipping a little bit, church. And I meant it for us, New Hope, but not because we're any different, but because we're part of something bigger. We're part of the age of the church that we live in. And I said, I just think that some of these areas represent our trouble and in some cases to our shame. Talked about being self-serving. That was another one. Where we give money and, and donations, we give time, but ultimately it's just for ourselves, all of our money and all of our time goes to ministries that are for us. You know, wonderful things like Celebrate Recovery or Divorce Care or Awana or Sunday School or Sunday Services. These are beautiful things. But if all of our effort is going to just feed ourselves, well, then that feels like we're missing a very important part of the pie. Love God, love... There we go. Love God, love... Yeah. So we talked about kind of like the 50-50. So if you're going to split it 50-50, well then, okay, now you're doing both, but we need both. 
God calls us to both. What were some of the other things that we talked about in that sermon? We talked about invitational. We talked about knowledge over faith. We asked someone like, you know, how are you doing your faith? Be like, well, I'm studying this. I'm learning this. But actually, faith is just trusting God. So where are you trusting God? And sometimes we become learners and not necessarily trusters. Talked about knowledge over prayer. We try to like learn ourselves to the solution to our problem. What can I do to figure it out? Where's the answer? Where's the, I need to know what to do so I, and then I can solve my problem. Well, this book is filled with people who didn't have this book. <laughs> this is the story of people who did not yet have this book. This was written about people who got on their knees and said, God, I'm desperate. Save me. And because God is God, he responded to their faith. And so sometimes we try to learn ourselves to our solutions when we should be praying ourselves to our solutions. Ah, what were some of the other ones? Ah, I can't remember anymore right now. We'll let you look back on the sermon if you want to. But if two plus years ago, God was giving us a wake-up call, think about the two years that have happened since then. Think about for our church and for others that just had their Sundays taken away from them didn't have immediate access to their elders and their pastors and just kind of on their own, locked in our little places around the world, forced to, sometimes with effectiveness, sometimes to our neglect, forced to just live out our faith on our own, loosely connected instead of day by day together. Taught us some things. It taught us some things. It was good for us in some ways. Think about over this last time as we're giving money away to people who don't have food. Oh, oh now our money's going to love our neighbor and our love ourselves. This is good. We're becoming aware of how our resources can bless others. Right? We were taught some things. It wasn't about location. It was about be the church and all these other lessons. But it seems to me that as we stand here on this day, if we needed a wake-up call then... We need a call to like passion and endurance now. Because in Nehemiah 1, they looked at the state of God's people and the state of the church and said, things look a little bit broken down. We don't see the healings that we praised God for earlier. We don't see the answers to prayer. We, we don't see this joyful, powerful people of God. Where'd they go? What's happening? But what they found is that as soon as they set their minds to God's work, they had people and forces fighting against them every step of the way. They could not just walk in and kick back and put their feet up and say, all right, let's build the walls. They had to fight for it because it was God's mission that he gave them, his purpose. And they couldn't just sleepwalk their way into it. They had to fight for it. And that's what I see for us too. We have to fight for this church Fight for this faith that God is calling us to help build. We cannot sleep our way into a rebuilt wall. We have to work and follow God into what he's building. If you want to see your home become like a little outpost, a little lighthouse in the darkness, you have to fight for that. I have to fight for that. My house is not going to just automatically become a place where bring, people are coming to Christ, where your backyard becomes a place where you have fellowship, unless you either invite people or you pray for God to bring people to your doorstep or you keep your ears open for who God's introducing. Unless we fight for that, it will never happen because everything is against you. Everything is against me. Our own desires, the things we want to do are against the good things we could do. 
The things we have to do are against the things that God might call us to do. Satan is alive and well in the world. And he will put every effort against stopping what you are trying to build. Because he does not want to see it happen. But he cannot stop us. He cannot stop Christ's kingdom. But we have to fight with Christ. We fight with the weapons he gave us. This is Ephesians 6. It's where we'll eventually go. But I want to see Nehemiah 4 first. I want you to see for yourselves, if two years ago we say God's calling us to rebuild a wall, and now we're here and say, oh, it's hard. It's hard to be missional. Now life has gotten busy again. I've got my work. Our kids have our activities, and life is harder. Fight for it. Is it or is it not good to reach out to your neighbor and tell them that God loves them? It is good. It is still good. But if it's getting crowded out, it won't happen. We'll be the third seed where the weeds come in and choke us out. Fight for it. Do some weeding. Force yourself to be disciplined to say, I'm going to set aside this time. If you want your house to be an outpost for the kingdom and not just come to church, it's not going to happen on its own. If we want our kids to grow up to love God, it's not going to happen on its own. Let's have some spiritual conversations. Let's talk about stuff we hear in the news. Let's read the Bible together. Let's say, what are you struggling with? What can I pray for you for? Our children will just not automatically know everything in the Bible just because they grew up in a Christian house. Or they went to church on Sunday. So what do we want? Do we want them to be Sunday, go to church Christians? Or do we want them to love God and follow him every step of the way? Well, it's going to be on them to get that white rose and that baptism and their own initiative. But what are we doing to fertilize that soil? What are we? Fight for that. Does it matter? Is it good? Do we care? If we care, then fight for the things that matter. We have to fight for those things. If we want our church to be the kind of church that people look at and it's like, oh, well, they're just all about themselves. No, it's just their club with their, their, their secret handshake and the songs that only they know and the big Christian words that they say to each other and like everybody there is pretending to be good and the perfect person. We're going to have to fight to break down that perception because that's a crumbling area of the wall of the church. Many people look at church and say, yeah, it's kind of hypocritical. You go there and you look nice on a Sunday, and then people live just normal lives. Christians are struggling in all the same ways as non-Christians. Don't see any healing. Don't see any miracle. Well, is that what we're living for? Is that what we're settling for? If it's what we're living for, then fight for it. Pray for it. Get on our knees. Beg God for it. Fight with the weapons he's given us and fight together. You see someone falling over, pick them up. Don't let each other drop. Not on our watch. It's like, no, not on my watch. We're not going to fall apart on my watch. And I know I'm not in control of anything, but I'm going to give everything I have and pray as hard as I can because it's worth it. It's what's good. Your neighbor thinks you're the perfect Christian? Go over to them today and start confessing your sins. Why not? You wouldn't want them to know. You don't have any. Which is it? Like, let's stop then pretending to be something we're not. We have such great conversations on some of our Thursday nights, don't we, guys? And it's just a small group of people who trust each other. You know, no one's there to, like, say something about you or cut you down, just being honest. And then in that environment, you get to say, hey, some things are good, some things aren't. What do you think? That's what church should be all the time, no matter where we are. People don't think that's what church is. So we can just let them have that reputation, or are we going to fight for the real thing? If we want these things, then God's going to call us to fight for it. So we're not alone. We're in good company. This is what God's people have done in the past. It's what we need to continue to do. Would you read with me from Nehemiah chapter 4? Nehemiah 4. 
We'll start in verse 6. I don't know the future. I don't know how God's going to do all that he's going to do. But I guarantee you, I promise you, I know it from the bottom of my heart that what he's calling us to in this time as a church family is exactly what he wants us to plow ahead in. Being in our homes, being here in the chapel, being out in the community, I know it. I know it with everything that I have. And so when I read verse 6, I say, okay, this is us. Nehemiah 4, 6, what does it say? So we built the wall. Did they know how long it would take? Did they know how high it would get? They know? No, but like, we're just working. So give me a rock. Give me some water. Let's put it in. I feel like that's what we're doing. We're just building the wall. This beautiful, beautiful city of God to represent him in all his glory. They did. We are. We're just building it. And it says, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. So they got half of the way there. So they're probably feeling good about things. They're building. They're putting rocks on. Maybe we're feeling good about things. We're building and putting rocks on. But look. What happens? It says, all the wall was joined together for half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Like, I want to encourage you, church. You've had a mind to love each other. These last years of pandemic and missional kind of growth, you've had a mind to love your neighbor. How many brown bag lunches were given out? Continuing um, Fridays for food and Saturdays for food at Elsa. Like, You've got a mind to work, church. And I love that about us. I love that about us. Whether it's uh, through the caches over at the college, right? Outreach is there. Whether it's neighbors who've had their, their yards raked, right? Whether it's someone who just said, hey, I need some rocks unpiled from the back of my pickup. This was me, and so I'm raising my hand. Can anybody please help me? And my, my actual next door neighbors just showed up her and her nephew and just unloading rocks and we're having like spiritual conversations and friends from church just showed up. Like we've been there. We've had a mind to work and that's a good sign that we're not too busy for each other. We're not too busy for the world that we're called to love. We're not too busy for God. Like we've got a mind to work. You've been building these walls, building up God's kingdom in a beautiful way. So be encouraged. But they got about halfway in this one and then there was a threat they would never go any further. Let's read it together. So they talk about the people in the, in the cities around them. Verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. This is probably how Satan treats us these days. When we just say we're going to do something good, he probably doesn't even worry a bit. Because usually we're all talk. Oh, I'm going to pray more. Oh, I'm going to reach out to my neighbor. Oh, I'm going to do this. He's like, great, yeah, talk. Let's say some more. Let's talk some more. Oh, yeah, keep talking, keep talking. But when they saw that it was actually happening, they're like, no, this won't stand. We're not going to let God get the glory here. This is our land. We're not going to let them have power in this place. We rule this place. And it's funny, all of these people are typically enemies with each other, but when they saw the people of God, they all united against them, right? They usually fight each other, but when God's people stood up and were like, God is God, and we're here to love this world, and we're here to represent him in glory, every single person who usually fights against each other is like unified now. <clears throat> Do you not think that will happen to you? Do I not think that will happen to me? Why would I not? Why would it not? Why would things not get harder 
the closer we're getting to the good thing. You want to get to the end of the race. Why, isn't it hardest at the end? They got halfway, and people said, oh, actually, they're doing something about this. I thought they were all talk. A lot of Christians, a lot of times, we are all talk. We have good intentions. We never follow through. They had the danger of that happening to them here, but it did not happen. And this is how they finished the wall. Verse 9, we prayed. We prayed to our God, and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. They're prayerful and they're action-oriented. God save us, and we're also going to watch. We're going to be alert. I'm not just going to be un... I don't know. I'm not going to be naive. We know that we're going to have opposition. God, please help us, and here's how we can guard ourselves. Now, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So there's doubt within the ranks. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So we'll sneak our way in and we'll ruin it. Now, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. Give up. It's too dangerous. It's not worth the risk. So the people inside the city are like, it's, it's too much work. Look at the mess. Can we fix the state of Christianity in the world single-handedly? The wall is too broken down. And the people outside said, let's go get them. Let's sneak in. Let's make a mess of things. And all the people outside said, we're doing okay. Like, don't worry so much about that city. Just come back here. Get out of the danger zone. But they didn't listen to their own doubts. They didn't listen to their enemies. And they didn't listen to those who maybe even well-intentioned were calling them out of the work. No, they stayed in and they fought for it. All right, so um, verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places... I, meaning Nehemiah, he's the one coordinating all the action. I station people by their clans. I want you to keep that word in mind. I love that word in this passage. I station people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. So we're like, we're all in this together. Do we care about our families? Like if we stop spreading the gospel, it could theoretically die with our generation. No more Christians, no more hearing about Christ because the people who know it are no longer passing it on. You know, burn every Bible and close every mouth and then people are back to kind of like the pre-Abraham search for God. We're searching with no revelation. We're stumbling about in the dark hoping to find what we can, but we can know him. We cannot let it die off in our family lines. We cannot let it die off in the Christian line, the line of Christ. And God's always got his remnant, so he's not going to let it. But don't let it happen on your watch either. Fight for it. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. He's the one who's great. He's the one who's awesome. Fight for your brothers. Do you have a physical brother in your family that you need to be fighting for? Do you have a physical mother, sister, child that you should be fighting for? Do they have places in their lives that they're hurting or broken that you know God could heal? Then fight for that. Pray with them. Seek God together. 
Are they opposed to God? Are you trying to show them that God loves them despite how much they might hate him? Like, what are you doing? Are you fighting for it? Or is it too much? Is it too hard? Is it too far gone? Well, they could literally see the enemy, right? For us, it's like an imaginary thing. What's going to happen? What will people say? What will this person do? But that fear gets into our head just as strongly as if we were looking at someone. We get afraid of what people will think. If it won't work, what's going to happen? Don't be afraid. If God's doing something, he's not going to fail. He can't fail. So we give them their close-range weapons. When the enemy's face-to-face, they have their swords. They have their medium-range things when trouble's a little bit out of reach, but it's right there. They had their bows for the things that were far away. Do you have all that weaponry? I think for me, prayer would be the, the long range. God, I'm afraid of the future. What's going to happen? It's like, there's an enemy out there, but he can't quite see him. And Will you make me not be afraid of the future? You know, what do we fight with? We'll go to Ephesians. We'll let it answer that question. But let's keep reading. Let's see how this work resumes. Now, oh, clans. In my mind, a missional community is a clan. If God were to bless us enough that we could grow to 12 missional communities, we literally be like the nation of Israel, in my mind. Because <laughs> the clans all had their own way of doing things, right? And all of our clans have like their own way of doing things. And they meet at different times and do different things in different ways, but they're together. And they love each other and their family. That doesn't mean they're not part of a bigger family. And so sometimes the clans like come together for a bigger purpose. We're here together. We're gathered for a bigger purpose. And then we kind of go back to our people and we love each other well. We know we, you eat meals with the people in your clan and you work the land, you do that sort of thing. But if someone attacks, as we're going to see, like, no, 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 those are my people over there. That's a different club. Those are, that's the nation. That's God's people. We rally around. We rally around things like physical illness. We rally around things like fear. And that's what they do here. The clans, they're on their own, distinct, but they are fighting for one another. So verse 13, when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plan. This was kind of like their secret plan to infiltrate. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each one labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and it's very widely spread out and we're separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Isn't that so cool? This is like the Old Testament version of like the prayer chain. <laughs> like, mayday, mayday, and everybody rallies because those are our people. And we may be separated far on the wall, working on our own piece of it. Very different pieces. One's working on a gate. One's working on a flat section. One's working on a tower. Like, but we're a part of the bigger picture of what God's doing, his plan. And when there's trouble on the wall, we step up. When someone's sick, we get there and we pray. When someone needs help, we show up and we lend a hand. Like, this is what we do. That's what we do. It's what it means. And that's what it took. But they had to be willing to work or fight and be ready for anything at a moment's notice. All right, let's keep, let's keep reading. 
Verse 21, so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and then may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. How's your section of the wall looking? How's it looking? Do you have some dreams about how beautifully you could construct and decorate the section of the wall that you've been given? Don't you really want to be able to step back at the end of your life and see like a masterpiece? Through God's strength, the part of the wall that was given to you as your responsibility, who no one else could do except for you, and no one else was capable or gifted or the right person for that except for you. And that wall could only happen by prayer because no way you could have done something like that, so it shows God's help and protection. Don't we want that? Or do we want to step back at the end of our life and see the same pile of rocks that just seems too heavy to lift, too awkward, couldn't do it on our own. We're too busy doing things over here and over here instead of the thing here. I don't want to get my wall halfway built. Unless that's God's plan. If he takes us home tomorrow, then he stops the wall whenever he wants. But I don't want to be the one to stop on the job. No big three-hour lunches here. Maybe we'll eat while we work. But just be at the task, and it's a beautiful one because it'll be part of God's legacy for our generation. It's not just us. It's our generation. It's this time. We talk about the coronavirus being sort of like an era-defining thing, big enough that it impacts the world, big enough that everybody's like, I remember what it was like for me when. It's one of those sorts of things. Well, there's that moment in the church here as well. How many more times do we have to hear about churches where there's another affair, another embezzling of money, another this, another that, and just be like, everybody is just looking at us and mocking us. What a bad name we're giving to God. That's not his fault. He did not do any of that junk. But it's happening with his name attached to it. It's like, no. That's broken down walls. We're called to build those walls. We're called to be the kind of person that people look at and be like, there is something different about that person. Even if we have some of the same struggles, we're not fighting it the same way. And we're different through them. Never mind different in the outcome. So here is where I want us to switch over to Ephesians. Because this is the practical application. What does it look like to fight? And I I do want your help with this. All right. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians. So we're in the New Testament. Flip over. Take a look with me. Read with me. Yes. Did you catch how when they said, you know, rally around people and fight, our God will fight for us? Even in their action, they were recognizing it was God's power. It was God who was going to do it. It was with the weapons he gave them. It's going to be him or nothing. So let's, let's be sure to not make this a, I can save myself, I can save my family, I can save my church, I can save my country if I just put in 
like legwork. This is not that sermon. We use the weapons that God has given us. And that's Ephesians 6. (laughs) And when we use the weapons he's given us, God fights for us. So we step up and then things happen. But it's not because we're amazing. It's because our God is amazing and we're doing it in his name. And so when Paul writes to the New Testament Christians who now understand Jerusalem was a foreshadowing of the body of Christ, the church, it was a foreshadowing of heaven, it was a foreshadowing of Christ and the apostles and the people of God, oh, then what are our weapons? Do we need actual spears and swords? What do we need to build this kingdom that Christ is calling us to be a part of? Ephesians 6 gives us several several weapons we can use. And it starts in verse 10 with what I just said. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God. So it's him, it's his protection, it's his work, but he gives us these tools and he says, you know, if you use this, this it's going to work. This weapon will work. He gives it to us, he empowers us, empowers it, and it will work because it's him and it's his. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The people around you are not your enemy, even your enemies. Ultimately, they are not your enemies. It's the things which drive them. It's sin. It's Satan. It's the powers. It's things like greed. It's these principalities in this world, the invisible things that run people, that drive them. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against people but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So stand, therefore, with these things. I like that it says stand and not defeat in this particular context. Because we're still trusting Jesus is the one that conquered death and sin. So our job is just to stand in him. Not to be knocked over, not to fail, not to get too tired. We're going to be so tempted so many times to just give up. We're going to be tempted so many times to just quit. We just need to be able to stand up and not be pushed over, not fall down. So our job really is to stand. Jesus is going to do the fighting. (laughs) Ultimately, he's the one who comes with his angels and he wins the war. But he gives us a way to stand firm. And I'm going to ask you for your thoughts in each of these elements, what you think we can do to use these weapons today. So let's just read them there. Uh, Stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. So we have to have truth as one of our weapons. I wonder what... You'll think in a moment what ways you can use truth as a weapon right now to stand. Also, having put on the breastplate of righteousness means sort of like godly living, rightness with God. How can that be something you can use today and I can use today to fight, to protect? Um, Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. For shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. How can that be for you a weapon in your life today to help you to stand the readiness of your feet to share the gospel? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. How can faith be used by you today, by me today, 
to protect us as we build the wall, uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation. Take on the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or praying for all the saints and also praying for me that the words may be given to me and open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So if we just kind of like leave it metaphorical, fight for it, then we kind of leave with a, like, all right, I'll go. But we've been specifically given strategies and tools to use. So you tell me, how do you think you should be using truth to help fight for your family and fight for your missional community, for your church, to represent Christ in this world? What role does truth have? How will it protect you, keep you able to stand? How will it guard your portion of the wall? Throw out any ideas that you have. I really would be so curious to hear how you think truth is God's weapon for you today. Truth. I've heard that as well. Yeah, it connects them all together. Truth makes everything else work properly and function. Truth. How do you think God's calling you to use truth to fight for him? I just think about how Satan lies to us all the time. Lies to us all the time. Who we are, yeah. how we are, yeah. how, what we're doing wrong. Right. Those little whispers in the air all the time. It's God's holy word. You hold yeah. it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what the truth is mm-hmm. because it's in there, mm-hmm. and the Spirit speaks to your spirit, yep. and you can say that's a lie, mm-hmm. and I refuse to mm-hmm. receive it. Yep. Name. Perfect. 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 Yeah. Truth also too in um, witnessing. Right? right. I'm not telling you about my faith or my religion. This is the truth. It's mm-hmm. not like oh, you have a nice God that's nice for you, or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, this is the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that gives us courage, probably, yeah. in evangelizing, I think. Right. Yeah, it makes us less fearful to kind of have that conversation. Right. So we're just supposed to witness, right? Right. He's saying, so right. having courage, just know this is true. I'm telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. otherwise, I'm going to, you know, you're quiet. <laughs> you only speak the truth, right? Sometimes we just need to make it easier or, or get to a place where we can say the thing about Jesus. And right. Yeah, because it's very possible to talk with people and not actually bring truth into it. Just bring sort of like nice encouragement type things. And you can't be saved if we don't know that we need to be saved. And if we don't know that we have sinned, then why would we even need a Jesus on a cross to forgive us of our sins? So like that concept. Yeah. Yeah. Ben. Um, so, you know, just the, the knowledge of the world, you know, 
they're constantly trying to rebuild like what goodness is, rebuild what positivity is. Mm. All these things of trying to give themselves credit and not give it back to God. God mm. originated mm. all of that. Mm. You know, everything that they say that it's great. They're making great efforts, but God still gets the glory. Right. Mm. Right. Right back to him. And that's yeah. why, as she said, it's it's simple, it's easy to yeah. invent. Because it's just truth. It's not a theory. It's right. not some kind of study. Mm. You know, it's it's truth. You know, yeah. it's there. You know, and you know, we have many numbers to just continue to prove it. We have this word right. written perfectly yeah. um, to have our backs in the situation, whereas yeah. everything else is just, you know, scientifically proven, a lot of studies. And, yeah. you know, we appreciate science. We love science. Yeah. Um, but we've given it back to God. Yeah, I like it. it reminds me of Tower of Babel. <laughs> who's getting the credit here? <laughs> Something good's happening, but who's getting the credit? <laughs> God has a way of making sure he gets the credit. But even if we just stop there with truth, what impact would it be for us as believers if we feel all those doubts creeping into our mind, truth just vanquished them? So we weren't filled with constant like self-doubt. That's a much different life to live if we just stopped at that. But what if we did that for our kids as well? If we hear our teens saying like, oh, well, no, I, I, I could never do that. Or our college kids like, I don't know if I'm going to amount to anything. I don't know if I can feel like. What if we show them the truth? They're made in God's image. They're perfect and beautiful. And he's going to lead them for what he wants them to do. He's made, prepared works in advance. They are his handiwork, his workmanship. That They've been perfectly designed to do exactly what he's going to do. So what if we can dispel their fears, their fears by just a little bit of truth? Because God said it. So let's just read that every day. If we need to be reminded, let's just remind ourselves. What would that mean for them for their whole future? If in our witnessing it was God loves you despite our sin versus just God loves everyone, one of those gets people saved and the other one just leaves people as they are with a nice feeling. It's a very different outcome. So what are we trying to build? What sort of faith are we trying to live? What sort of families are we trying to nurture? What sort of Christian are we trying? Like, these are very important things. We just picked one word and took, you know, four thoughts. Those are your weapons. Fight with truth. Be willing to get fired from your job by being honest about something. Be willing to lose a friend by not compromising something. Like, fight for it. will turn out to God's glory and to your benefit by fighting with truth, not taking the way around, shortcuts, corners, cheating the system, getting what you can, doing, like, one way God will honor it and the other way he will not. That's just truth, right? We probably don't even have time to go through all of them, but let's do the next one. And again, how will we use this uh, first was truth. Next one is breastplate of righteousness. How can our desire for right living, how can our living for Christ in the world be a weapon, be something that protects us and helps us to stand up while we're building our wall? One or two thoughts on this one. Yeah. And, um, we just we know that's like our protection. We know it's something that equips um, us every day to to just know that what we're doing is is right. Mm. We, we always want to be right. You know, it feels good to be right. You know, it feels hard to be wrong. It feels hard to problem solve, but to be right, to know that mm. it's we have ourselves together. Yeah. 
Yeah. I often think of the opposite of righteousness, right? Like what's ungodly living, unrighteousness look like? And how are we ever going to honor Christ if our lives are living the exact opposite? How are we ever going to convince our children that this is a good way to live if they see us being hypocritical? How is the world ever going to want something from Christ if Christ's people are just the biggest mask wearers of all and our actions are all just one way and our words are all like, it can never work. But what if we're just like, Unified. What if we just were one person everywhere? Then the places that we sit and talk, like in the backyard with friends, that actually just becomes like opportunity for witnessing instead of like, oh, that's just where I hang with my friends. And you know how you know how people talk and like, well, what's that an opportunity for? And we're in church isn't just the place where you say nice things, but actually people are real here. <laughs> so then you like get real here, all right? I know there's much more we could say. Think through them with me though, real quickly as we we kind of bring this to a close. Are you willing to walk or get up and move for your faith? Shoes fitted with readiness. Jesus left heaven and came down. He moved. He got moving. Are you going to move? Or are we going to be sitting and waiting for God to bring us people that need help? Bring us needs and drop them in our laps so we can solve them in the convenience of our own home or our church and then let him take it from there? Got to move, folks. What are we doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Like, what, what are the, there's got to be motion. There has to be direction. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you get up in the morning, put your shoes on, put your pants on, get ready to go out. And when you go out, put tracks in your pocketbook. You Why not? Put tracks in your wallet. Put tracks on your dashboard. Mm-hmm. Go prepared to sure. serve. Sure. Sure. Right. Very practical. That's probably the, the sword of the spirit too, right? Some scripture. Leave something good behind in your wake. The helmet of salvation. How many of us here at any time have ever wondered and doubted if we were really saved? I'm going to put my hand up. I've had a moment like that. Moments like that. It's not where I live. It's not where I stay. But I've had moments like that. How confident do you feel in those times in praying? How confident do you feel in those times in sharing your faith? How confident do you feel in those times of peace about the future? It's like zero. Being uncertain of our own salvation is like a kicker, like takes the legs right out from under everything. And yet it's so simple to know. That part God does not make complicated. Do you believe that Jesus died for you and he loves you? Do you believe that your sins are forgiven? Yes, right? White rose baptism, live for him. Like It's a very simple thing, and yet that's one of those whispers and lies that comes into it. Oh, I, I shouldn't have said this. Why, why did I do that? Maybe I'm not really saved. The helmet of salvation. It's like a, in, a, in a, a warfare situation. A headshot is a lethal shot, right? It doesn't take a lot. <laughs> But when you have that helmet on and you just know you're saved, you can take a lot. You can take a beating and keep on going because you're not dead. You're just wounded. You're injured, but you're still fighting. And that salvation, just know that you're God's, changes things. It means that you're not afraid of dying anymore. So we die and we go to heaven. So when we die, we die. Salvation, like confidence. It means that I know I can witness to my friends and my neighbor. And if God's going to make something happen in their lives, it's going to work because I'm his, and he's got a plan, and so he can take it from there. Salvation. I don't have to be look at my sins as though they're running my life. They're just the nagging, annoying 
temptations that are trying to knock me over. They don't define me. Right? Salvation is helmet. Protects against all the headshots. It protects against the fatal blow. It protects against death. Everything else is a mere flesh wound. Everything else you kind of work your way through. But that faith, we have to know it. If we don't know, we got to know that first. That's protection. These people knew that God was fighting for them. They knew they were going to live. They knew they were going to succeed. They knew the wall would get built. That's confidence in the face of everything. Sally, add to that. I was just thinking, you know, you were saying when God, Satan tells you you're not saved, and, and one of the things that has, God has really planted in my heart is remember. And God said it to the Israelites over and over again. What Remember what I have done for mm. you. And mm. that's what I do. I go, I go wait a minute. Mm. This is, I know God was here. Mm. I know God was here. This is mm. what God did for me in the past. Right. I know God is real. I know my salvation is real. Right. And if you don't feel it in the moment or you doubt it in the moment, you look at the history. You're like, yeah. God's been there. So I bet after this or through this or tomorrow or in five minutes, God will make me feel it again. But I'm going to believe it because I've seen it. Yeah, that faith. And all right. So um, can we point to the others still? The shield of faith. Yeah, right. The things that come at you, like, no, I'm just going to trust. I'm going to hang in there. First line of defense, right. Stuff comes at you. We need protection. I wonder if in the Nehemiah, this is me just sort of speculating now, I wonder if we could stand next to each other and like lend a little bit of our shield to someone. <laughs> you know, line of defense, rally. I think so. When someone's faith is weakening, I think we come along and say, hey, I've got faith for you, with you. Let's, let's trust. God's got this. That's just like the wall too. The clans just rally to where it's needed. Bring your shields. They're needed. Come salvation, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That brings us back to truth. This is your Bible. It's the only offensive weapon in the bunch. <laughs> if you need to do some hacking and whacking and fighting yourself out of a situation, it's not going to be your logic or your creativity. It's going to be God's word that helps you through it. And prayer. And prayer. Pray at all times in the spirit. Yeah. In verse 17, mm-hmm. where it says the word of God, I've done a little bit. Study, yeah, please. Pray. It was the spoken word. Hmm. So I think that's important. The word of God, I think, help me with this, but I can think of three separate ways the word of God is using, used in the Bible. It is the written word of God. No, the word of God. Jesus is also the word of God. He came and he was the word incarnate. So Christ is the word of God. He's the word. In the beginning, the word was with God, right? The word. Uh, and then just literally a word from God. The Holy Spirit say something to you like, I really needed to know that right then. Thank you, God. Because again, a lot of times we're reading about people who were not reading at the time. They were faithing at the time. They were praying at the time. And we read about them. We try to like read ourselves into the miraculous encounter with God that they weren't reading themselves into. They were living themselves into. And they were fighting for it. And they were crumbling. And they were lifting each other up. That's been the experience of the people of God for all time. It's going to be our experience. So that's what I feel like we need to pick up where we started two years ago. If God's calling you to something, calling us to something, it's not going to be easy. And you're going to be tempted to quit you are going to have lots of things go wrong, but is it worth it? 
Is it what God's calling you to? Then fight for it. Use the weapons he's given us and fight together. Rally together when we need it. No man left behind kind of thing. We're all in this together. So let me pray for that for us, and then we'll close with song. Father God, we cannot do anything on our own. Jesus, you said, uh, you are the vine, we are the branches. If anyone is in you, you will be in them. But apart from you, we can do nothing. So we can do nothing if you are not with us, if you are not infusing us with your spirit and filling us with your strength. If it is not your fruit that's coming off of our branches, then it will not succeed. But in all things, big things and small things, give us faith. Give us feet that are willing to to move, hands that are willing to get dirty. Protect us, reassure us of our salvation. Give us those right lives that are like a city on a hill. I pray for each one here, Father, that you'd give us the, the knowledge and the honesty of each other, the genuineness to know where we need to rally. I pray for the work that you're continuing in us. I pray that you'd give us initiative and boldness and creativity and courage and excitement and ownership that we might just work on the section of the wall in front of us. And even if they're very different sections, it's the same wall. One God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God over all, one spirit, one church. So God, we are here together as your people. I pray that you would fight for us. Please go before us. Please stand around us. We trust you for the victory. You will fight for us. And we thank you in advance for all that you will do in our families, in us individually, and in this church body as you show us the work that you put for us to do so that you may gain glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name.